believe with all my heart that there is a delicate balance between you take charge of your life to giving your life to the Lord. You can be born again and saved and going to heaven and your life is not completely his. While you're making all your own decisions without involving him or considering him or giving him complete lordship, he's not lord over every area of your life. So when you submit to the Lord or you follow after the Lord, if you take in charge of your life, the biggest step you could ever take, I believe, is to give him complete control and lordship. You may think that he has complete lordship until he asks something that you don't compute or understand. And there are many biblical examples of people that just didn't even agree with God. Jonah is a classic one, of course. He went to the opposite direction, didn't want to do what God asked of him. So his life wasn't completely God's. Even though his ministry was, and he served God, recognized he wasn't completely, Ananias was praying in Acts 10, and the Lord said, go to the house on Straight Street, and he first argued with God because it wasn't something that he could understand or relate to. What made David so unique and profound wasn't his good morals, his, his heritage, his DNA, because he was a throwback of some kind. It was simply, as Acts 13.22 says, that he was willing to do whatever God said, which tells me that he was completely yielded and in such relationship with the Lord that even though he took full charge because he wasn't afraid to, do, to bring down, to bring down uh, Sam's, to bring down Goliath, he, he was completely yielded. His words were to Goliath, God will give you into my hands. Goliath said, come here, boy, I'll rip you apart and give feed your flesh to the birds of the air. It was all about him. David said, come, I will, I will kill you, but God will give you into my hand. He'd, be, he'd become yielded, completely yielded to the Lord, and it was an ongoing relationship. He'd kill the barren lion where nobody could see in his growth to take charge of his life or yielding to God, he had to go through all these things. David was a very interesting man, and I think that not only could he take control, he had many struggles, as we all do. David was born into a family that didn't embrace him or admire him or tell him how wonderful he was all the time. In fact, they didn't even like him. When there was a call to have Jesse's boys put together for that one of his sons would be king. Jesse looked through all his boys and took seven. The first three were all soldiers in Saul's army and were eligible for sure, especially the firstborn that opens the womb of the mother. That's scriptural, holy unto God. Even Samuel looked at him and said, must be God's man, because he was tall. He looked like a lot like Saul, a good replacement. And God said, no, you look on the outside, God looks on the inside. And if you really take charge of your life and yield to God, it's always about what's inside. You can make all the mistakes you want, but God knows what's going on inside. You can't lie to God. So if you want to take control and let God have complete control of your heart, you have to yield and be honest with him. And so David wasn't even invited because as far as the father and brothers were concerned, David just did not qualify. 
He was red-headed and red complexion, which was completely different and unusual to the Jews of those days. And so we have suspicion because of Psalm 51, where he writes, In sin was I born, in iniquity was I conceived, that his mother may not even have been Jewish. There's no record of her at all. Where she came from, what she did, we don't know. But God looked and found a man with his heart, not with a genealogy or a look or a way or anything else or even a technique, but simply his heart with all his struggles that he had. David himself was anointed three times recorded in the scriptures in Chronicles and Kings. The first time he was anointed was anointed by Samuel in front of his brothers. You think his brothers would celebrate his recognition by the prophet of God as the next king. In fact, they despised him even all the more. The second time he was anointed was by the, the elders of Judah, they anointed him as the next king, and then the Israel leadership, they were all different states. David was famous for uniting all the Israeli states and making them one nation, and the Israelis also three times he was anointed, but he didn't see himself as king, even after 20 years of running and, and having a crowd following him and the, the cities and the people cheering him, having killed the ten thousands, and it's, he still never saw himself the way that God had, even though God had said you're the next king, he never saw himself as king until the king of Tyre sent his masons and his woodworkers and a lot of cedar to go build David a house. That's when the Bible says, then David perceived that he was king. After all that anointing, after all the activity, he couldn't see it. He must have realized when the when these gifts were coming that they weren't sending it to a shepherd boy, they must be sending it to a king. And he realized, maybe I am king. It's the strangest thing in the struggles of your life because he didn't just walk into his kingship. He fought so long, 20 years being pursued by Saul and hated by him, disliked by his brothers. His father didn't have regard for him, always at war, always fighting to survive. And finally he's king and then he has all these struggles with his first wife, of course, they had no, no time for him. He had a real struggle, but he had regard for the Lord. He had regard for God in every way. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back for you Gentiles. I'm sure I'm from a Jewish family, so we think a little different. It's a huge thing to have the Ark of the Covenant restored after being lost. The Ark of the Covenant represents God's presence. It is, for those who don't know what it is, it's a chest that is overlaid with gold and, and little cherubim on the top with wings and wings to touch, and inside is the budding rod of Aaron, as well as the tablets that Moses chiseled. First, God gave Moses the, uh, the tablets of the Ten Commandments that he himself wrote for him, and then when Moses broke it, he had to chisel it himself. If you want to mess up God's plan for your life, you're going to you turn to your own little work, you're going to pay a price and do it yourself. Anyway, those, uh, those Ten Commandments were inside the, this ark, and it, whenever they would bring the ark, then the enemy would run. They were fearful because it represented such power. On bringing it back, they brought it back on the cart of Philistine. And when Uzzah touched it, it killed him, not because Uzzah was bad, but because it was out of order. There was a lack of order that God had said. God had said, you bring the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the priests. We cannot bring God's glory back into the church in a compromised, uh, seeker-friendly Philistine cart. If you want to do God's way, God's kingdom, we have to adhere to God's program, God's boundaries, God's plan. In our own lives, if we take control of our lives or want to be fully in charge, 
we, God has given us a set of rules to live by. Jesus said, in my kingdom, use that phrase a whole lot, in my kingdom, we turn the cheek. In my kingdom, we do good to our enemies. In my kingdom, he gave us behavioral patterns and responses that was expected of us that we have to constantly remind and refresh our lives with to be like him. Please do not be too excited. It's overwhelming. All right, so <clears throat> David in his own natural struggles had a journey in his life. He recognized his, they used his anointing so wonderfully that Saul did. David would come to Saul and play his instrument and bring peace to Saul. Every single day David came, yet he was not noticed until he went to go fight Goliath. That's when, when Saul asked Abner, who is that boy? Who is he? And he, then he, I would have said, well, he's been coming every day to your house. You don't recognize him because he was unimportant. It's only when you have to confront something when there's a real major catastrophe that people notice who you are. And so we don't like the, the, the difficulties in our lives, but God has them set in the program. Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side, knowing full well there'd be a storm. He did put in motion the objective, which is go, go to the other side, and that's as good as a prophetic word you can go to the banquet, because God, as Jesus said, we're going to the other side. To ensure that you know that you're safe, I'm going with you, and you're safe because I'm there. But he took a nap while he was, they were going crossing, and of course a storm rose. The storm was so violent, and Jesus was so tired, he didn't wake up. That's kind of scary. And they were all in panic mode like any good Christians would be. And they accused Jesus like any good Christians would and say, don't you love us? Don't you care about us? You always feel abandoned by God when you go through a crisis. You always think when you go through a crisis, something happened, you made a bad decision. Because in our, in our immature Christian ways, we think that if I choose to take command of my life, there's going to be no problems. And in fact, Jesus said, in this world, you'll have many troubles. Troubles, storms, problems are part of the program and are your friends. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. He knew there's a storm. You never think you're in a storm because you did something wrong. You were right. You always think you did something wrong. That's why I'm in the storm. But actually, they did something right. They obeyed the Lord. That's why they were in a storm. God leads you sometimes into a place where there is a real challenge. Your faith will not grow and you will not have a chance to speak to a mountain if you don't have one. Everybody wants to speak to a mountain, but you hope it's a little hill. You don't really want a mountain. When you get a mountain, you feel like your whole world's come to an end. Well, I tell you, if you fix the one, you'll have the next, and the, and the next, and the next. You can't live one problem to another. You've got to live from one in, one in victory to another. That's what God has planned you to be. He didn't pr promise you a trouble-free life, just a victorious one. He didn't promise you a pain-free life. He promised you a healed one. And that's, what, that's the whole journey you have on earth here, and that's why you're taking charge. The best way you could ever take charge is to give him full command of your life. You may not like it because at many times it's a struggle because your mind cannot comprehend. I don't want to go to the house where Saul is. You haven't heard all the things I've heard about him. You may be like, Jonah, I can't go to Nineveh. Those people are wicked. I don't want to do it. You may fight God on every area because you don't like what, you don't agree with what God wants, but God knows the end from the beginning and he'll test your heart. How many would agree that it was never God's plan to kill Isaac? God didn't want Isaac dead, but he said to him, go and kill him. He was checking his heart. God will get 
get you to do things just to check your heart because your mouth says one thing and your heart says another. And God will always look on the inside to make sure that your heart belongs to him in this earth and this journey that you are and you made in God's image. Let me tell you, looking in the mirror is, is absolutely not God's image. It's a house that you live in. You are a spirit living in a body with a soul. And so you belong to God. You made in his image. Unlike any angelic being that was made for service, you were not made for service. You were made for worship. You were made to love God. You were made to be part of him. You made with his own DNA. God is absolutely crazy about you. If I may use, if I may use that expression, he is really in love, full of love for you. He didn't send his son to die for one single angel. There wasn't one angel worth dying for, but you are to die for. And so if you're taking control of your life, let's look at the way Jesus did it. He did some unusual things in taking control, and he, he said, nobody takes my life. I give it. On numerous occasions, they tried to kill him, and he escaped from them. From in Nazareth to Jerusalem, he would hide, he would get away from them, he would avoid them trying to arrest him. His brothers said to him in John 7, don't hide yourself, show yourself with all these miracles, and he said, it's not my time. When it was his time, they came to the garden of Gethsemane, and they were looking for him. He said, who are you looking for? I'm he. Here am I. Take me. He surrendered his life when it was time for him. He was in full control. You have to know what God's plan is for your life. And that's what Jesus did to have full control of his life and ministry. He, was, he had a pattern. The three things I noticed he did consistently that were quite surprising was, first of all, he taught frequently and consistently. He didn't preach as much or heal as much as he taught the kingdom of God. He was establishing. The second thing he did was he prayed a lot. Every time he was confronted with a situation that was outside of his framework of reference, he would go back and pray and talk to the headquarters again. There will be things in your life that will happen that unless you are in control of your life and get back to the big boss man, you're not going to be sure what's really going on, and we're inclined to panic. When the 5,000 were chanting, make him king, he didn't say, well, let's get a database. Come on, let's form a team and let's see if we can start a ministry and shake this, and shake this nation and get these, get these guys out and worship God. No, you sent them all away. Go home, go home, go home, you guys. And the disciples, you guys stay here. I don't need you. You see, he had to get clarity. There comes a time when you get hold of God for yourself. You don't need someone to help you, pray for you. You need to go get hold of God for yourself. And then he came down from the mountain glowing, walking on the water. And so he heard God what he's supposed to do. Another incident in John 4 when they were ministering in Jerusalem area. And then the, so you heard from the disciples, they sang, they sang Jerusalem that you have more following than John. You're baptizing more than John. And when the Bible says when Jesus heard that, he withdrew and back to Nazareth. He was not called to do that. He was very aware of what was going on all the time. He was very attentive to God and the leading of the Lord. He made sure what was going on. He was clear on instructions. That's why in John 17, verse 4, he says, Now glorify me because I have done all that you have given me to do. I hope that you know 
what God has given you to do, and I hope you're doing that. Do not lessen or belittle what task God might give you. Don't look at someone else's task and say, well, that looks like something I should be doing. I should be a pastor. I should be a worship leader. I should be this. No, you find out what God's got for you because when you're faithful with small, he rewards you with greater things. Not one thing is more valuable than the other, whether you're an usher, whether you're a cameraman or a sound person, whether you whatever you're doing, the reward's the same if you're doing what God has asked you to do because one's a hand, one's a foot, the foot's not more important than the hand. We have to be what God has given us to do because we have one kingdom that he is building, one church that he's building. We don't want to have God raise someone else up. We want to be that which he's looking for, the worshipers he's looking for, and those that build his kingdom. So to take charge of my life, I give him full control, every part of lordship. I don't make my own decisions. People get frustrated at me when I prophesy children or talk about babies. They get mad at me. Some churches have asked me, please don't prophesy those things and please avoid that. It's a very personal issue. Actually, it's not. If God's in control of your life, then you should at the very least do is ask him what he wants. But we as people will ask, should we marry this person? Should I buy this car? Should I take this job? But when it comes to having babies, we never ask him. We tell him what it's going to be and how many they're going to be. And if God is in control of this universe and determines how many souls are on earth, we don't have the power to determine how many souls. If we control how many children are in our family, the child that should have been assigned to us may have ended up in another country and in a most difficult regime or difficult non-Christian environment, and we should have raised that child in the ways of God or given that child a chance to know the Lord when God has given us calling to do exactly that, to do what God has called to do. We've got to have the children God says, and his ways are different to our ways. We think when God, we do God's will, everything falls into place. There's no challenge, there's no difficulty. Sometimes the very challenge is the very uh, access or the road to reach the right people. In my life, we have, in our family, we have a disease called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, which is a disease, it's a very rare genetic thing where every generation has a twin, get pregnant with twins, and the egg will split and become exactly opposite, and the babies are connected through the umbilical cords and little arteries. I was a twin, my twin died, I was the recipient, and the donor came in after, after me. My wife lost her twins, and then my, my daughter became pregnant, and the first time is so we could see that this, these babies were already in such a condition. The first one was very small, and the other one was big. We did all we can. We began to go to warfare and pray for God to, 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 to rescue these children. My daughter would ask me, Dad, why would this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? And she started a whole journey with me walking with her in the things and the ways of God. In this journey, the, the recipient, which is supposed to be the healthy child, had a heart, this heart problem they could see already before the child was born. And to add to the things, and you'll see that one of the children is here with me. My wife is here in the, in the hotel, and she'll be here at lunch, and then tomorrow in the meeting. And the, one of the twins is here too. She's 12. And they were born at 26 weeks, and it was a long, hard fight. The, one, the twin is supposed to have been healthy, has also a plate that's missing in her leg, and has six, uh, six inches shorter in one leg than the other. It's quite a challenge, and we have to de- deal with it all the time. People say, why, God? Why would you do this? Well, the effect, the ripple effect of the people we've touched throughout the whole journey from doctors and and different specialists that have commented, and we've read so many articles, and people that have said things, the lives that are being touched, God uses some of the most awkward situations that will ripple effect and touch people's lives. You just can't imagine or understand God's ways are so much higher than our ways. We think when we follow God, everything falls into place. We get the best parking in front of the grocery store, and we have all everything go our way. You're wrong. God uses sometimes the worst of your storms to touch people's lives. In fact, he puts you in the most awkward position so that you will bring life. There was, there was our brother Paul inside 
inside a ship with a bunch of criminals in a storm. 14 days, he warned them, don't do it. We're going to have a storm. I'm warning you, we're going to lose a ship, the cargo and our lives. And he prays and, and the cargo and the ship is lost, but not their lives. And they end up on an island called Malta. And these Maltians are so friendly and he's gathering sticks and, and wood for the make a fire and the big viper gets a hold of his hands and hangs on his hand. And they're, they're, these guys immediately think like any good nice people, well, he must be a bad person. It's funny how don't even know Paul, but they really got an opinion about him. We always think that if something bad happens to you, you did something bad. Something good happens to you, you're a good person. It's not true. Life happens to everybody. Rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. It rains. And so he shook the snake off because he had a word he's going to Caesar. No one could, nothing could kill him. And when it didn't kill him, they thought he was a god. Exactly. And now here's the thing. If he panicked with his snake and felt sorry for himself, he wouldn't have been in the place of faith to, res- to resist any kind of poison and shake the snake off in the fire, and he wouldn't have had the effect on these Malteans. And so in your life, when you have a situation before you panic and wonder why this is happening to you, God has got a much bigger plan in motion. God tells Abraham in Genesis Chapter 15, verse 12, he tells him, know for sure that your descendants are going to be slaves. Now, Abram hasn't, hasn't even made his wife pregnant yet. She's, there's no baby on its way, and already his descendants are slaves. And God's blessing him. How odd is that? And they weren't going to be slaves for a generation. They're going to be slaves for 400 years. Now, can you imagine me interviewing one of those slaves and saying, you God's chosen. God picked you. You're blessed of God. You'll think I'm crazy. His grandfather was a slave. His children are slaves. All these known as slavery. How can they be God's blessing? You'll say to me, can God choose somebody else? Please, we don't want to be chosen anymore. This is not fun. Yet if they had not been slaves, there would be no nation Israel. It was those 400 years that birthed the nation that brought forth the Savior. We needed a Savior from a people. Salvation was from the Jews. That's what Jesus said. So understand that there's a much bigger program in motion that you and I can see. We so pity about the little inconveniences and discomforts of our lives, but this all passes. This life is very short and temporary, and if you're taking charge of your life, the best thing you'd ever do is give God full control, and, and then you speak to the mountain when God tells you, you, can, you can't have faith if God didn't tell you. That's presumption. You've got to know what God's saying, and if you can't know what God's saying, if you don't have a relationship with him. Being saved is wonderful, and knowing the Lord is wonderful, and receiving salvation, but your life has to belong to him. He has to take full control when it comes to decision-making. He's got to be the boss. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time finding God's purpose and plan in your life. And when you get God's word, don't look at the outcome or the way things work out. You'll make a mistake. Paul and his brethren were in Acts 16 trying to find the mind of the Lord. They tried to enter Bithynia and the Spirit of God wouldn't let them, wouldn't let them preach. There was a lot of difficulties. So what they did, they waited. And that night, Paul had a vision to go to Macedonia. And they traveled so long, took them days that across the bay with a ship. It was a long journey to get there. And days later, they arrived. And they're there three days. And only one person got saved. They were beaten thrown out of town, and it looked like a total disaster. If God had led us to Thessalonica, he certainly messed it up because we didn't get anybody saved. But that church became a booming church. You just don't know it when you can look at the immediate results of your life because you tried something. I thought I heard God, and this didn't work out. No. 
God's ways are much bigger and higher than our ways. You've got to look way beyond that. You've got to trust the Lord with all of your heart and make sure that your motivation is always right. Taking control of your life. If you really want to be, take control, make sure you're truthful to yourself. Tell the truth to your own heart. What you really feel must really going on because you'll never, never grow while you're lying to yourself. Trying to persuade yourself that it's okay. And the Holy Ghost will convict you and when you become immune to the convictions of the Holy Ghost, our conscience becomes seared, the scripture says, where it's an absolute blessing to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Don't ever apologize for that because he'll guide you and he'll lead you and keep you from negative and evil things. Are you understanding what I'm telling you? All right. Please do not get overexcited. Especially that, that, the, here's okay, but there's completely quiet. And I'm not even sure if you're all awake yet. Yeah. Taking control of your life. There's nobody that's more interested in you than, than God. Nobody. No, and he's so real. He'll be as much a, a friend, a lover, a lord, a master, a father as you will let him. If you will take and make an effort to fellowship with him and call on him and talk, he will answer. We all have cell phones and many people's phones go to voicemail. They just don't take the calls and don't feel like it. Not the Lord. The first ring he's answering already. He's like he's waiting for you to call any moment. He can't wait for you to talk to him anytime. He's always got time. It's never, never a bad time. It's never wrong. He's always ready for you because he's God and he really cares for you. Your people let you down, but God will never, ever fail you, disappoint you. He's a good God. No matter what it looks like to the devil, has lied to you for the longest time because you measure God's approval love by your circumstances. Your circumstances are God's delight. He's in control. He knew the end from the beginning. Nothing takes God by surprise. What would you prophesy if you were Jesus to, the, to someone as high profile as Peter? If you're about to leave the earth and you're about to leave, what would you prophesy? You know what Jesus prophesied? You are young, Peter, and you go where you want. But when you're old, someone else will lead you. That's, the, that's my prophecy? Yes. He was so dissatisfied with that that he said, what about John? <laughs> John, this is in John 21. So often we get words that we didn't really want. We were hoping for more. We expected more. We demand more. But that word was so relevant for his life in years to come. And God will say what he'll say. You, you know, he wants you to trust him. God doesn't give you all the information you want. He'll tell you what you need because he supplies your needs, not your wants. He supplies your needs. And he knows the end from the beginning. God doesn't have yesterday, tomorrow. He's the same. He's he is now. There is no, for him, it's always now. So he's already, he's already in your end. and he's, he was, he's still with you in your beginning. It's, one, it's all one time to God. We have time because we live in this earth and in this body. But God loves you. He knows every hair in your head. He cares about you. He's so intimately and intensely involved in your life. You may not feel it. You think that maybe he's supposed to make your life easy and comfortable. You make a big mistake. God's always testing to see how much you grow. And how far, how far ahead you'll keep going with him and, and you'll lean on and depend upon him. God would like you to take control and to, when he, when he came, went past a tree that had no figs and there's no reason to get mad at a fig tree out of season that's got no figs. He rebukes it and curses it. And when they go by, the brethren look at it and Peter goes, Lord, you, you, you done killed that tree. <laughs> Jesus said, greater things than this will you do. He took charge. He took control. And God gave us dominion over this earth. 
gave mankind, he put this planet here for us. And we're the church, and I want to tell you that God's a Christian. He's not a Muslim. There are so many religions on earth, and we're the church. Jesus said he's coming back for his church. I will build my church. His church is what belongs to him. We belong to Jesus. We belong to his kingdom. There's nobody like our God. There's nobody like him, nobody. And we must not apologize. This nation needs us to be all that God wants us to be, to take full control of our lives by letting him be complete Lord of every area. You may not like it because your flesh fights it because there are things we just don't want to do. We don't trust him enough. I'm so grateful for those that did trust him and completely abandoned to him. Jesus was obedient, Hebrews says, until death. He didn't even didn't resist. He gave up his life. He struggled. It wasn't easy for him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, let this cup pass from me if possible. If not, I'm willing to do whatever you want. So he didn't really want it, but he was yielded to the plan of God. And he, he suffered and went all the whole route. And in our lives, we mustn't moan and complain all the time. We must be the salt of the earth and the light of the world that we know in whom we've trusted. Amen.